Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Maximilian Kalhed here with me in London. Uh, welcome to my podcast, Maximilian. Thank you, Palapuno. <laughs> <laughs> so describe, where are we actually? So we're at Shed, Shed London, and this is where we have our headquarters, but we're rarely here. But yeah, this is our hub when we have to sit down and, and do uh, the boring admin work, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm in the admin center, right? Yeah. So uh, for those of you who don't know of uh, the pop-up agency, uh, Maximilian Kalhid is a strong believer in the impossible. With the right tools and mindset, you will get further than you could ever imagine, he says. And as a co-founder of the pop-up agency, Max has traveled to over 30 countries and 50 cities with the mission to redefine how we use creativity in business. He's worked for brands such as Coca-Cola, Facebook and Condé Nast, to mention a few. And he's also a frequent speaker at global creative festivals such as Cannes Lions, Eurobest, Dubai Lynx and Golden Drum. And in 2016, Maximilian was nominated for Influencer of the Year by Creative Pool Networks. So Maximilian, you believe that we can do almost anything, even the seemingly impossible, if we have the right tools and mindset. Uh, So what are those? So it's first of all in the realm of creativity because I believe that everyone is creative and can be creative yes with the right tools and mindset and I also think that uh, very few people forget about what mindset you should go into when you're generating and coming up with ideas I think a lot of people just talk about tools you know how to come up with a million dollar idea how to generate the best possible idea that's gonna change my life etc Uh, But in order to do so, you need to uh, have a mindset. You need most often to collaborate with other people, to get input from others. Uh, So I definitely think that you need to combine the two in order to get further. And I think that's uh, something that we've discovered from all the travels and all the work we've done, that if you combine the two, your output is almost better than before, 100%. And your agency, the the pop-up agency, uh, you're solving briefs in like 48 hours. And, and I know you, you developed a process that enables you to go from getting a brief to a solution in only two days. Mm. And I know today that you work with global brands and agencies all over the world. What do these brands typically ask you to solve in these 48 hours and, and how do you go about it? So first of all, Vesna, let me ask you then, how often do you focus on one thing and one thing only for two days straight without any disruptions, without anyone trying to pull you out for a meeting, without any phone calls, checking your emails, etc. Just focusing on solving one thing and one thing only. Very seldom. Yeah, because people don't do that nowadays. You know, yeah, we multitask, yeah. we try to do 10,000 things at once. Mm. So honestly, there's no magic behind the 48 hours. It's just about focus. Mm. But yes, the tools and the methods that we're using for you know, enabling focus and enabling innovation, those of course help you to have a better solution within those two days. And yeah, the clients most often ask us to, uh, it's pretty funny because they normally ask us to solve briefs that are millennial related, that are global, or that are digital in one way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So yeah, I mean, we've 
tend to end up in that space. But I think most of our solutions are pretty service and product orientated, and not so much about like advertising campaigns. It has to have more value than that. It has to have a longer shelf life than just a commercial. But what impact do you wish to have? So, as I said, you know, I believe that everyone is creative and can be creative. And the problem with the creative industry is that the creative industry took ownership of the word creativity. So many other businesses mm. don't even see themselves as creative. Although I feel that they are creative and I feel they mm. should be more creative in their everyday work. Mm. So, you know, the creative departments, even in the creative industry, they are the ones who are allowed to be creative. They are the only ones who have a say when it comes to the creative products that they're producing. Mm. So I think you should involve more people in the process. I think people from client side should also understand that they could do a lot of the work themselves with the right tools and with the right mindset and with having the right processes. Mm. Because everyone possesses the ability to be creative. It's just that over time with schools and that you get put into a position in life where you're not allowed to express it in the same way. Mm. You're afraid of failing, you're afraid of that your, your level of creativity won't be as high as the ones who are trained. But yeah, that, that might be true, but you, know, you need to practice it in order to become good at it. So the impact I wanna make is to uh, democratize creativity and make creativity something bigger than just for the creative industry, something that should be applicable mm. outside of the creative industry. Mm. And for us, creativity is problem solving. That's also important. Creativity for some people might be arts, others mm. might be music, but for us it's about solving problems in a, a pretty seamless fashion. And what do you think is the future of the creative industry as such? I mean, it's hard to say because we're seeing more and more brands now moving away from having traditional advertising agencies doing creative work for them. They want to they cut down budgets to build their, in-ho- their own in-house capabilities. So we're going to see more of that. That's definitely, and this is something that started even a few years ago. But the problem is, and I think that's why many of these brands come to us, is that they have the, the hardware, the manpower, they have the copywriters, the art directors, the social media people, but they don't have the software, the process. So they still work in, in an assembly line, as they normally do, But what if you use all the stakeholders and the right components working together in an agile environment, Mm. then measure the the outputs based on that? Mm -hmm. Because I think they haven't started doing, some might have done that. I don't have any examples to be honest, Mm. but I think uh, we're gonna see them take on a more agile way of working uh, with creativity. Because what often happens is that advertising agencies shut them out out of the process. That's something we saw when, when we started to pop up at our client's location, many of our clients gave us feedback and said, it was so nice to have you in our building, embracing our DNA of our company. That enabled you to speed up the process so much more. And that was just like a simple thing. Instead of sitting in a room like the mm-hmm. one we're sitting in, in a meeting room, making assumptions about what the client wants, mm. we're there having access to the right stakeholders at once. Mm. And even involving them in the process, giving them ownership of what we're creating mm-hmm. is even better. So you know, how can we co-create this then? co-create something that we all feel proud of, that we all want to stand behind and push out. Because mm. I think up until now, we've worked in two camps, ad agency or communication industry in one end and brands on one end, and it's almost been a clash between each other. Is it often so that people in the industry feel that they're, they're like provoked by the fact that you go out and say, okay, we can come with a solution or a very good process and have everybody on board co-creating in 48 hours and produce fantastic results whilst others say, oh, come on, we need two months or so of some kind of a work 
model. Yeah, but you do uh, need two months for certain things. But I don't think you need that to come up with a creative concept. Because, you know, we come up with the ideas and the concepts. We do not do the production. And that is something that takes more time. Mm. And yeah, people were provoked. People are still provoked up until today. Mm-hmm. But you know, What do they say then? As- <laughs> they say a lot of things. They say, first of all, in the beginning they said we were too young to know. And now it's more about, yeah, but the ideas you come up with, you don't understand uh, how the implementation grade is going to work and things like that. But, you know, different strokes for different folks. Mm. I'm not saying what's right and wrong. I'm saying we chose to do this way because we wanted to do this way. We decided to work the pop-up fashion because mm. that was what we needed. We didn't want to have long deadlines. We wanted to work globally mm. and we wanted to... Uh, make maximum impact in a very short period of time. And for you, why was globally important to work globally? I think to embrace other people's cultures and to be surrounded with people from different backgrounds and from different areas of interest, I think that makes me smarter. It makes me Mm. uh, more curious and it truly makes me or enables me to live the lifestyle I'm demanding right now. I live in a global world online, and I'm trying to resemble that in my physical world as well. Mm. That is pretty cool. You know, I go go to Japan and I meet people that listen to the exact same Swedish indie shoegaze music that I listen to, you know, which is crazy. Like a band from a small town in Sweden and some people in some hipsters in Japan Mm. listen to the same music. Mm. We meet online over shared interests, and I'm trying to replicate that experience in my physical world as well. And I think that's why I chose to be in London too, because I think here is where a lot of cultures meet at once. And you've been here now for five years or five so. Five years, yeah. yeah. With your team, of course. Yeah. What's the best with London, working here? A, it's great geographically. If I want to work globally, I think to be in London is I have easy access to both Asia, to America and to Europe from London. B, I meet a lot of interesting people. I think a lot of people that going somewhere is uh, going through London at one point every year, basically. So mm-hmm. I get to meet a lot of interesting people. I have opportunities here. I mean, there are things to do. There are things to do all the time. I mean, uh, I'm never restless here. Mm-hmm. There's almost too much to do that, I'm, that makes me anxious. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there are downsides, of course. It's very expensive in London. What about your your passion? I mean, what is your passion? You know, you know that it comes from this Latin word patire to mm-hmm. suffer. So something that you're so passionate about that you're really also willing to suffer for it if needed. You know, what is that for you? Yeah, my passion then is my curiosity. You know, I mean, when we moved to London, I, we were broke here for six months. I had zero income for six months when we started pop up eatings here. I had to sell half my wardrobe because that's another passion of mine. I like to collect <laughs> clothes and stuff, but I had to sell a lot of the streetwear I, I had and to afford my rent. I had a really nice apartment in Stockholm and uh, I moved to a, a shared house in London with mold all over the walls. Going down in quality of life to go and fulfill my dreams and my passion project, which was the pop-up that I strongly believed in, and my curiosity to explore mm-hmm. new things. I think that is a, a, an example of that. I sacrificed a lot of my time as well by being away. I, I almost say like every time I go back here, I had to reinvent the wheel. I have a lot of good friends here, mm-hmm. but you know, people that I really want to hang out with that I don't have time to hang out with. I almost have my friends in tears, which is crazy. You know, I have my girlfriend, my, my sister lives here, my girlfriend's sister lives here. Uh, that's like tier one. And then I have my friends. 
my close friends and I want to see them too. And then I have my, my not so close friends that I really want to hang out with. And you know, by, by the time I end up to my tier three, if I can say that, it's time for me to go away again. So it's hard to maintain relationships. I need to spend a lot of time to see the people I really, I really want to. Yeah. So of course I have to sacrifice something. I mean, if I had all the time in the world, I would be very happy. But yeah. that is something I think many of us struggle with, uh, to combine the time mm. with work mm. or like free time mm. with work mm. when you're an entrepreneur. What transformational points in your life have influenced you the most? I went to a very multicultural school. That also opened up my eyes to new cultures, to uh, the real Sweden, to be honest, like mm. different classes, different cultural backgrounds, people from all over the world, basically. And I had to learn a lot about respect and uh, about how to uh, navigate across different cultures. And I think that is something I've brought with me even up until today. Mm. I can break ice on maybe 10 different languages. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I can speak three fluently, but I, I can only break ice on maybe 10, maybe some more. Mm. But yeah, I got that from there. A curiosity for languages, a curiosity for culture. And I think that was definitely one transformational point. Another transformational point was when, when I was working in Stockholm and I wasn't happy with my work, but I thought that was the entrance point for me into this industry. So I kept on. Mm -hmm. uh, what kind of, kind of job or role was that? I was a product manager at uh, a pretty successful startup. Mm -hmm. I, I, was, I really enjoyed it. I really loved it most of the time. But then towards the last year of that, I wasn't happy. But I, I was convinced that this was my gateway into the creative industry. But you know, if I could have told myself something back then, it would probably have been like, just go with your gut, like don't force yourself into a context where, yeah. where you don't feel you belong. What um, long-term solutions or long-term formula, if you like, for businesses do you believe in? That's a tough question. I think many businesses are afraid uh, of change. And even pop-up agency, who is supposed to be an agile company, I feel sometimes that we are afraid of change too. You know, change, is sometimes painful, but it will do good for your business most of the times. Trying to be agile at least, not to be too rooted in ways of working, trying to at least uh, have your eyes and ears open for, for change and for movements. The day you get too rooted and too stuck in one position, then you, that's the time you get very vulnerable. Mm. Because it's gonna come someone. Like There are so many examples of companies and startups that have come and mm. just disrupted mm. markets. Mm. And even a company like uh, Snapchat, I feel that they were too comfortable in their seat as the main communication tool for my generation. Mm. Instagram does one pivotal move, adapting to a market's needs, and all of a sudden Snapchat's market value has, has tumbled. I mean, mm. I don't even know anyone who's using Snapchat anymore. And I think mm. that is just one example of getting too comfortable in the driver's seat. Because mm. I think when you're driving, it's always easier to be on the second place. It's mm -hmm. funny, uh, last week uh, an article came about from uh, one of the largest media houses in the world. Uh, they released a 24-hour creative consultancy service. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> I was glad that it happened, to be honest, because I thought finally we have someone that really challenges us and had the muscles to do it. Mm -hmm. They're much bigger than us. They have a way better infrastructure. They have way more money. So I thought that was, that was really cool that finally we have someone that we could benchmark with. Mm -hmm. But now when I started to read between the lines and I started to investigate a little bit, it, 
this is not their core business, this is not their core passion, so I think it would be hard for them to actually compete with us in the realm of fat or rapid creative process. Mm. For us, I think we've sometimes been, we've been lazy due to lack of competition, because I mm. think you need to have someone to clash heads with, mm. someone to uh, go neck to neck with. Which might as future. well be, uh, be your future clients as well, Exactly, right? yeah. exactly. And I, and I hope they will be. I, I wrote a blog post about it, so I reached out <laughs> and said, guys, if you need any help from us, any advices from the past five years, we're open. <laughs> But yeah. But I keep getting back in my mind to when you say your you know, unique point in terms of this creative process that you are creating and, and, and mm. kind of guiding people through as a tool and as, as a way forward. How do you do that? If a client asks you to describe what is it that you're going to do with us or to us yeah. <laughs> in 48 hours, what do you tell them? So, you know, in the beginning, when we started, we didn't even involve the client in the process. So we popped up at our client's location. Mm. We got briefed by them, but we sat there and we, we talked to some people, but we didn't involve them in the process in the same way. Mm. And then we came up with a tada, the pitch. So we basically did what the regular agency did, but we were there. So they saw that we are at least what we were working on. So it was full transparency in that sense. But the more we did that, more of our clients came and said, like, how do you actually do it? So back mm. to your question, you know, how do you, mm. how do, you do it? And, And how can you do this so much faster than anyone else? And then we said, okay, you join us. Next time we do this, you come in and work with us in the process. Mm -hmm. So basically what we do is we go through the same principles as you would do if you were working for a regular advertising agency. We do the research. Uh, first of all, we define the brief. We debrief and we set the stage for the process. So we mm -hmm. spend almost one day aligning all the stakeholders so we're aiming for the same goal. And I think mm. this is something that few people actually do, the, the real alignment. Mm. We almost make them sign a contract. Okay, this is what we're going to solve, sign. Mm. So no one can come back and say, oh, no, no, the solution you ended up with, that is not in line with the brief. Because that has been set and defined from mm. the beginning. Because the goal is your GPS. That's what's going to guide you to your end destination. Mm. And then we start so doing some brief research Uh, we're going through uh, a bunch of different idea generation methods, you know, first generating ideas individually, then collectively, and then we use different tools to decide on the ideas, making constructive decisions without too much emotional attachments. Because I think there's also one problem, you know, many people talk about generating the ideas, very few mm. people talk about deciding what ideas are relevant. Mm. I think many ideas in many contexts are decided on by gut feeling, something I personally don't like. I want it to be benchmarked against certain KPIs, coming back to the goal, mm -hmm. you know, measuring the ideas against the goal we decided. And then, yeah, evolving the ideas, prototyping them, testing them, by finally delivering them when we're done. And yeah, before we, it was more of a tada moment, like a, a pitch presentation, but now it's more about, okay, here's the idea that we came up with together. Let's create the action plan now. When is it going to go out? When is it coming live? Who's accountable for what part? Uh, what department is going to do X? What department is going to do Y? So basically, you know, we walk the client, we work together with them, we walk them through all these steps to the finish line, mm -hmm. and then we give them basically a, a blueprint of what we come up with, mm -hmm. a timeline, and then we do follow-ups with them. In the beginning, we do follow-ups once a week, and then we do follow-ups every other month. 
And that's just to hold them accountable because they are the ones who are going to implement it. Mm. It's not us. Okay, that's great. So, and then if they need to produce things uh, because yeah. of the concept you arrived to, then they do it elsewhere or you point Yeah, I mean, we have a great network of people that we think, you know, depending on what brand it is mm. or what company it is, I think many brands actually have mm. a production partner that they like to work with. So it's about building a, a bridge between the two. The coolest thing with the 48-hour formula and involving the client is that they own the, the concept when we're done. They feel really passionate about it. They feel that they've accomplished something themselves without hiring extra manpower to do the ideas for them. And then they just say, mm. approve or not approve. Mm. And I think that is a pretty, you know, it's a liberating feeling for everyone involved, even for us. Which I think it's fantastic to see that. Mm. Celebrations afterwards. Do you oh, do that? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's crazy, you know, what, what happens when you've been so focused on something for, you know, two days and it's been a, such a an high intensive work environment. And when you've done with the timeline and with the little wrap up we do, you know, it's, mm. it's almost like you've been playing a World Cup football match and you're like, oh, it's over. Let's go and celebrate now and let's <laughs> enjoy the moment of, of peace. Yeah. But there's something happening also when you're kind of sweating together and trying to figure things oh, out together. Absolutely. It's a fantastic uh, process. But not every process is smooth. It's a roller coaster, of course. Mm. But we know, you know, you have to trust the process. We're going to have a good end result when we're done with this. Mm. But it can be bumpy sometimes. What, what do you do if somebody in that client group, somebody is, has a, this kind of a negative yeah. approach or negative wavelength? That can disturb... Uh... That happens not all the time, but it happens very often. But then it's my mission as a leader and a facilitator to uh, mm. really make sure and address that immediately mm -hmm. and not let that infect the rest of the group. It's almost like a virus. It's about addressing it early on. It's about talking about it. Why asking mm -hmm. all these questions and also making sure that the other people around makes an effort to uh, bring the, the person on board. Mm. with the rest of the group. And uh, if you would assume that you have uh, all doors open and you have all resources available, mm. what would you then innovate or change? I would definitely try to uh, uh, make creativity impact on a much larger scale than it's doing right now. Creative economy is something that I, I think is, is one of the future economies. You know, in, I could work with creativity online anywhere in the world, basically. I can consult online anywhere in the world with creativity as my backbone. I can sit in the desert just if I have internet. So no, it's about giving people access and tools to apply creativity and see it as a business opportunity. Mm. Even in, in, in places if you, that are oppressed or where people have a tough time you know, with internet and with some creative mm. skills, you could definitely you could establish a business of your own. So I think it would be really cool to kickstart a creative economy, to go to countries that are not so developed yet and try to build an infrastructure for a creative economy. That would be really cool. But meeting and doing this, let's say, 48 hours process that you have, did you even consider the fact to do that on distance We've with tried. clients? We've tried. It, it doesn't work. work. It yeah. doesn't work. Exactly. That's my point, because I also have a very strong feeling that there for oh. magic to happen, it has to be in a physical room. That's yeah. why, I, for instance, even I, I always prefer to meet up doing the podcast than doing anything on the mm. phone, also for quality reasons. But in general, I, I just feel that's a totally different story. I mean, we've failed completely by doing that. Mm. It doesn't work. 
And it's not the pop-up DNA. Pop-up is about popping up, exactly. meeting the people. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so you get to see the world. <laughs> yeah, that too. But you know, more the more of my travels is actually just about going from one airport to an office and going back to the airport. Because mm. I want to spend time with my friends and my girlfriend and, and my family mm. as much as I can. Mm. So yeah. <laughs> but if you could give you know one piece of advice to leaders, however you choose to define those, okay, mm. what would that be? First of all, see creativity as a resource. We were at World Economy Forum, I think it was two years ago, when they dropped the skills you need for the next industrial revolution. And the skills you needed 20 years before that was engineering, coding, and very hard skills. But this time, the number one skill was creativity. Or no, the number one skill was problem solving. And the third skill was creativity. I don't, I don't remember the second. Hmm. I strongly believe that the soft skills are going to be very, very valuable hmm. in the future. Uh, so I think for many leaders, don't just stare yourself blind on the hard skills. Because hmm. I think we often do. I saw an interview with Bill Gates recently. And he said, like, oh, before I used to surround myself with like-minded people as myself. Mm -hmm. Everyone was a great developer and everyone had great skills in coding, etc. But now I surround myself with people that are the opposite thinkers of me. Mm -hmm. Thinkers. He said, skills is something you can teach, but a way of thinking is something that you're, you just have it. And it's harder to change that. And I, I think that is something. I try to be very multidisciplinary in my profession. But when I realized that I had soft skills that could take me somewhere, that's, that's when I started to practice them even more. What do you define as your soft skills? My soft skill is about building a relationship and you know, understanding people and cultures. That is a soft skill that I've practiced and I think I'm, mm. is one of my, if yeah, we talk about T-shaped people, I think mm. that is my main, my main pillar that holds my T and then I have a lot of other things. You know, mm. I have some hard skills that I've forced myself to learn. But you know, I, I forced myself. I mm. that didn't come natural to me. My mm. natural skill is my curiosity, my eyes for details, and my uh, hunger for new experiences. What do you think is the most important thing for companies to focus on right now? If you think about you know all kinds of companies out there, of course it's to have purpose. It's to have uh, a purpose that attracts both staff, that uh, attracts customers, to uh, have a clear purpose with what you do and not just sell a product for the product's sake of it. And the way many in, in my generation, how, how we consume products today is, is a lot through purpose. And since a lot of things are very transparent with internet, where we have access to basically anything, it's very easy to see poke holes in a business too. So I think have purpose and be fairly transparent. What backlash is hard. Okay, so my final question is, is this one. What do you think that the world needs most at this time? If you imagine yourself kind of hovering over the world and just... That's a big question. I know. But I think a lot of things today are polarized. I love that we're making movements and we're progressing society. But I think I'm really afraid of all the oppositions we're creating. We're uh, playing out uh, groups of people against each other. And I'm, I'm really afraid where that's going to lead us. I am a big believer in coexistence. I'm a big believer in, in living in a borderless society. It frightens me a little bit that we're creating all these oppositions and that's why we see all these hard political movements happening, like these hardcore 
decisions with Brexit, with voting for Trump or getting Trump being elected for president, and mm. he's so unpredictable, it's really hard to see where the world is going. And I, I like control, and I think the world is, is sort of out of control at the minute. I definitely think the world is very polarized right now. I think a lot of people are played out against each other. A lot of oppositions are played out against each other. And the climate for conversation is getting harder. Mm. You walk on eggshells wherever you go, basically. And I think people need to see the, the bigger picture than preaching for the choir. Because even in my clique, I mean, I, I'm in a, I have a very conscious clique of people that I'm hanging out with. But it's not about measuring who's most of some political movement. Mm. It's about seeing the bigger picture. And I think, I think we are very good at just going deeper and deeper into one movement mm. than actually looking around and seeing the, the, the bigger picture. Mm. That's probably my take on this. I think that sometimes when I am trying to simplify the world to myself, I'm thinking like, okay, is this person humanity plus person or humanity neutral or mm. humanity negative in a way? Mm. Or even you can apply the same logic to companies, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So whatever is out there, you know, as long as somebody is working for or is behaving in line with being a positive human being, uh, or at least leaving people in a neutral place, if nothing else, mm. then that's to aim for. There's this quote by um, Louis Lamar, uh, he says something about knowledge is like money to be of value and it must circulate. And in circulation, it will probably increase in quantity and value. Mm. So when I start to think that way and when I started because I've had mentors and when I start to share my knowledge with others and I see them thrive and I'm starting to give advices to other people and I see them thrive and I take advices from others and I thrive mm. you know I I strongly believe in that ecosystem of sharing experiences and knowledge with one another and sharing ideas and everything because mm. I'm in the business of making ideas mm. and people sometimes ask me are you not pissed off sometimes that you have to give away your good ideas I'm like, but that's the, that's, that's, the, the, point. The, the, that's the point, that's the business I chose to be in. <laughs> to see others grow and thrive makes me thrive and grow. And that is so rewarding. Okay, Maximilian, so how was it to be on the podcast? It was cool. I mean, I've done a few podcasts before. Uh -huh. uh, it's cool. I think your questions were very different, though, from the, the ones I normally get. Really nice. Thank you so much, Vesna. Uh, so thank you, Maximilian. Thanks so much for sharing. Thank you. Uh, and to find out more about... Maximilian and his work, you can head to thepopupagency.co and also follow him and the agency on social media. So remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Acast and I truly appreciate if you share this episode with your network and friends for impact. Thank you for listening and until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao. Ciao.